Behold, behold, behold the pale podcast. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Punks are running wild in the street. There's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do, and there's no end to it. We know the air is unfit to breathe, and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy, so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller, and all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel-belted radios, and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest, I don't want you to ride, I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. My life has value. My life has value. Behold the Pale Podcast. Alright, folks, welcome back to another episode of Behold, 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 a Pale Podcast. Magnificent. Alexander Hawk's on the rise over there. He was very excited. Those are only the sounds you'll hear from him when he is a very excited man. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, Those are my excited noises. Very glad to hear that, buddy. Uh, we have Brother Jonathan with us as well. How are you doing over there, Jonathan? I am good. You too. Woo! How do you like that? No, that was the that was the the, the last words of Bud Dwyer as he, as he strung as he strung out on the floor for his last gasp of of dying air. Um. Actually, I think the sound effect that Alexander Hawk made is kind of the sound that he made when he hit the dirt. But we can hope, right? And we got Brother Sean, Brother Joffrey. I almost did double time on Brother Jonathan. Double I can't time. Be good. Twice. Twice. We don't edit here. We keep it real. And we got Jeff Barry up there. Word. Okay, cool. Woo! Now that I, woo! Woo! <laughs> I dig, I dig. I dig, I dig, I dig. All right, folks. Well, you know, if you read the headline, then you must know that uh, we're about to get into the Bud Dwyer effect here. All right? Uh, for anybody out there that don't know who Bud Dwyer is, you know, our Bud Dwyer, Robert Bud Dwyer, um, Esquire, uh, politician, you know, from Pennsylvania, Caught up in a scandal, you know what I mean. I guess the true, uh, the true thing, this conspiracy would be uh, whether or not it was uh, on the up and up. I know the certain things after he died came out, but um, you know, Mister Dwyer, politician, caught up in uh, some some dirty laundry shit and uh, claimed innocence and uh, was uh, it wasn't looking in his favor, so he called a press conference. 
and he gave a nice little speech. All right. And then he pulled out a, a nice pistola and shot himself in the head. All right. Now, this is a notorious death video for anybody out there in the, in the fan base, in the audience out there that gets down with death videos like some of the gentlemen here do, you know, only for scientific <laughs> research, of course. Only Speak for yourself. Only to, be, only to better humanity. We want to know why these things happen and how they happen so they don't have to happen again. You know what I mean? But the Bud Dwyer uh, video was one of those vi- videos that I've seen real early in the game, real early in the death video game. Uh, this is on a, I got a face of the death tape with this on it and you know back when the the interwebs were more free to find all types of crazy shit like this uh you would see it uh all over the place but uh you know horrifying horrifying video has everybody here seen the video uh yeah mm-hmm. yeah sean you've seen the video i'm sure right i know you know you don't get down with the death hits but <laughs> <laughs> Um, like, how old is it? It's from the seventies. It happened nineteen. Uh, is it like seven? Eighty-seven. Is it paneling? Is it like paneling behind him, and he's like in a brown suit almost? Oh yeah, no, it yeah. happened at eighty-seven. It happened in nineteen eighty-seven. Yeah, eighty-seven. Yeah, I've seen it then. This is yeah. This was um. This is the most. This video, and, and he's like a horrifyingly white. What I remember most about this video, I think everybody who watches it is, is what he, you know, he's very weird. The whole thing's weird, of course, because he, he's even up to the very last moments, he's portraying to be this nice guy. I don't know if he was or wasn't, but he's all like, everybody, you know, get back. I don't want anybody to get hurt type stuff. Not thinking about the pain he was about to put in their fucking mind forever. You know Mm. what I mean? Um, and that he, a 357 Magnum, I believe, Dirty Harry style, pulled out of a sandwich bag. Uh, opened his mouth and put it in and popped and uh, pop go to weasel. And uh, I mean, that imagery has been used for fucking just about probably every, every heavy, every fucking like death metal band is probably uh, tapped into that. I know I've seen multiple it on multiple fucking album covers in my day, but the most horrifying part of the video I feel is when he, he hits the dirt, he goes down on his ass and it's like, it's it's like fucking a tub worth of blood just coming out of his nose. Like the only place it's just fucking pouring out of his nose, like two faucets. It's fucking horrifying. Um, the, you know, the side, you know, the, the people frantic after is notorious. I've heard that in music. Um, we, we, we did a film DJ stand the man and, um, when somebody gets stabbed in the movie, no, no, no spoiler. Somebody gets stabbed. There's somebody that goes, somebody call the cops, call the police. And that fucking line is taken from the Bud Dwyer suicide. So we take pride in that at the Boombastic Films headquarters. But uh, yes. what'd you guys think of this video the first time you seen it? Well, I mean, when I first saw it, uh, it was... Uh, I forget how long ago. I, I know that uh, you you pulled out uh, the uh, the uh, tape where it had a bunch of interesting um, uh, clips. And oh, you're not supposed to talk one. about that tape. Huh? We're gonna <laughs> go to jail. We're all going to jail. Uh, and and yeah, it was. 
I, I think the thing that I found the most weird about was how calmly he was like, oh, you know, everyone stay back. I don't want anyone to get hurt. And, you know, he pulls out the gun and he shoots himself. I mean, it's, I mean, it was so, it was so eerie the fact that, you know, First, you know, he, here's the guy. He, he has a, a press conference. He claims he's innocent. Then he pulls out the gun. Now, everyone's first reaction is like, oh, my God, he's going to start shooting people. And then he takes the gun and he shoots himself right right in front of everyone. Now, what goes through my mind is that... Uh, now, I don't know the exact scandal he was tied up in, but the only thing I can think of that the reason for him to, first of all, call a press conference and then kill himself on TV is that, you know, someone, like, something about the scandal, someone, you know, kind of said, here's the ultimatum, dude. You know, you got to off yourself in a public forum or, you know, you know, we're going to, you know, take all the money away, you know, throw your kids and wife out in the streets or something like that. Because it, it just it was just, mm. just so weird. Yeah. Like you bring the end of the show at the beginning of the show, Hopkin. But we like to hear I, about... Were you were you touched by it? Were you t- completely? Were you devastated? I know you're a man who can't handle anything too much. Uh, fucking catch up on your hamburger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, my pal Matt likes to uh, make a comment that I'm I'm very squeamish. I mean, it's funny because I, I mean, uh, there's when when you see something that's actually really happening like that, it it's it's so surreal. Yeah. At least for me, because you grow up as a kid, and your mom and dad and everyone says that what you watch on TV isn't real. Don't emulate, you know. So you know you don't drop an anvil on your head and think you're going to pop up like Bugs Bunny or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But when you see something like that, which you you know is is real, and it, it is funny because how someone really reacts to actually being shot and dying is so different from how we glorify and see it in actual movies and television. And it's, and the way the body reacts to the actual gunshot wound and and all that is also so different from what, you know, how we glorify it on TV. And, and it's, and, and right, Professor. Well, it's yeah. true. It's true. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. kind of have a theory like that. I think it kind of, this is completely without, I mean, I'm not an expert, of course. I don't know anything about, um, you know, clinical, like this type of psychology or psychiatry or anything like that um, behind matters like this. But, I mean, I'm thinking context, like given the time period, I just don't think that there was like, I think the awareness of depression was probably not received. I mean, of course was not received as it is today. You know, there definitely wasn't as many outlets to express your, you know, frustration and your grief and 
if you were suffering with depression, I feel as if that time it was more, you know, it, it wasn't taken as seriously, uh, probably especially in the workplace. And so I think you have like the Christine, like Chubbuck one that had like suicide, which was like the first one on television in 74, I think. Um, and that was like, there's theories there that that was kind of a call for help, like that, that the depression was, she just wasn't getting the treatment she needed. And she was trying to bring almost attention to the fact that this is a problem. Yeah. I think, yeah, I agree. I think that one was more a mental health. Depression yeah. thing. I think Dwyer was just, but I've heard, yeah, but I mean, at the same time, like, I, I don't want to sit, I don't want to like discredit the, the I don't want to completely, cause I, I mean, you don't know exactly what was going on in his mind, you know, you don't know if he was. So I don't want to like discredit the idea that maybe there was some motive like that. I mean, of course, when I first looked into this years ago, it was mainly because I was, I had heard about, somebody was talking about it. I had looked it up online. I had done some research and, um, like I usually do with things like this, you know, I didn't, didn't just jump into the video and, and try to form, you know, necessarily my own assumption of it or yeah. whatever. I wanted to get some background info on why maybe he would have done this. And I read some articles and different things had said, you know, for instance, that he was going through legal troubles and his family was in a tremendous amount of debt. And that had he, you know, kind of like if he were to die and for some reason, his family would be entitled to his pension benefits. So that would have essentially allowed, but at the same time with things like this, there's, you know, you're right. I mean, he doesn't think about the fact, the amount of pain that that causes and trauma that that causes. Um, But at the same time, I mean, when somebody is, it's, it's hard to say, I think all of the, all of the stress he was probably dealing with, I'm yeah. sure, pl- just had a tremendous mental toll. Yeah. Kind of the idea that um, you might be, you might have, you know, you essentially not even, not only ruined your life, you know, tarnished your name, but you've essentially ruined the life of your your children and your wife. You know, like that can I, I don't even want to imagine like the amount of like what was probably going on in his head. So I can tell you what was going on in Bullet Baby Papui. People don't think about the fucking the, the, the person that was standing three feet in front of him, staring at him when he did it too. Like that person's all fucked up for now. You know what I mean? You know, yeah, this, I know. This, this but I also about. question like the ethics of the. I, I also kind of like question the ethics of the the filming in the first place. You know? Well, it was a press conference. Like the deal is, yeah, he was on. He was in trouble. He was getting ready to get kicked out. Uh, they let in Pennsylvania. They let you stay in your position until you're fully convicted. So he was he was kind of riding it out. Though I did, he he was. What well, I will give him respect for of being a halfway human being is uh, he fucking he he took leave without pay, which is pretty surprising because I feel like anybody nowadays in that position would take leave with double pay. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So it was a crazy thing. But, yeah, I definitely think – I definitely – you know, it was legal troubles. And, yeah, I'm sure he's stressed and fucking depressed. He got caught doing shit if he did indeed get do it. I mean, there's some evidence leaning towards that he was he was being honest and didn't do it. So I won't go too crazy with him. But, um, yeah, there's definitely that aspect of it for sure of the mental health thing. The Christine thing's different 
where she uh, that was definitely mental health where she were before she did it. She said she said that she was like disgusted with humanity and like everything that they kind of publicize and make into entertainment on the news because she was a newscaster and she was kind of like, you know, pretty much saying it's real fucked up that we make, you know, we, we, we the world's just fucked up and that we showcase it for entertainment. And then she shot herself. Now that the, the video of that I've, is it's questionable. I've seen certain ones, but some of them seem really fake. So I don't know. I mean, something like that, you would imagine that it would be somewhere. Someone would have a, a tape recorder rolling. Cause that was live on TV as well. But yeah, there's, I think there's been a couple movies kind of made about it from bigger to independent. Um, so I never don't, I don't know if we're ever catching that something from one of the movies or the actual footage. I've seen really fucked up grainy looking footage of it that you don't really see much, but to go into what Hawk was saying is real, real death. Isn't that dramatic? You know what I mean? It's one boom done. And you know, you're not lingering around holding your bloody hand out for somebody to come hold you while you die in a situation like that. It's fucking over. You know what I mean? Um, but mm-hmm. with Bud, I think the Bud deal was yeah, it was more the anguish of the situation, and it could have been very well if it, depression if he wasn't. But I do roll with you heavy on the idea of it happening right before he was booted, because once he's booted, they couldn't get the, the pension, which is kind of Aaron Hernandez like, which I feel Hernandez from the Patriots. I think that uh, you know he 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 was under the. You know, financially, like his death, his family would get paid out as long as he was under the umbrella of the Patriots. And he was under the umbrella, I believe, all the way up until he's convicted. He can't be, he couldn't be like, get stripped of all his shit. So I've heard the rumor that that's why he actually killed himself. And so his daughter could still get that uh, life, the the fucking life insurance on him. Yeah, uh, I mean... Now I don't know the specifics since you know I, d- I don't have life insurance I don't but I thought that if you killed yourself you don't get like if it's a suicide life insurance isn't paid out I don't know I heard that that could be true the, the you know the athletes could have a different uh a because different I mean I re- I I remember watching or reading something where you know there was a guy that you know he went out supposedly went out hunting and then, you know, he was found, you know, shot. And, and of course, at first they thought that he was out hunting and, you know, another hunter ended accidentally shooting him. And yeah. then later they found out that he set it up that uh, because if, if he killed himself, uh, the ins- uh, insurance wouldn't pay out for his uh, life insurance policy. So he... Yeah set up this kind of mm-hmm. elaborate thing of where, you know, he did kill himself, but he made it look like someone else killed him. Right. So, uh, and, and when that was all found out that they couldn't get the life insurance policy or something along those lines. It's I mean, I think I've heard that, I think it depends on your policy, but I think I've heard that, yeah, you can't, I've heard that you can get it, but it just can't be, it has to, there's like a certain amount of time you'd need to, I mean, it sounds like if you if you were to essentially take out a life insurance policy yesterday and kill yourself today, you wouldn't. Nobody received the money. 
But if you took out a health insurance policy and then, I don't know, 10 years later, there was an incident like that, you might be, I'm pretty sure you'd be able to receive the money. So I just think it depends on like, maybe if you, maybe in that case you're referring to the person had taken out a life insurance policy because they knew they were going to do it, you know? So I think that they try to rule, I think they rule it out if they can prove, if you give them a good enough reason to prove that that was the intention, they can rule it out. But if they, if there's like no connection to the health insurance policy and you are like your act of self-inflicted harm, I don't think that they can outright deny the money because at the end of the day, that money wasn't necessarily for you, but it was for those, you know, the other people in your life that might require it. So I think that I think if they can like prove like they, I think they have to be able to prove it like beyond a doubt that that was yeah that it was yeah. for that reason. And the to the the Hernandez thing could be um with athletes, you know. I know that a lot of athletes were shooting themselves recently because of having brain injuries, so there might be a clause in their contracts now but that specialize with something like that where you know if you do it you're not you're not losing your money. It's almost you know because it's possibility that your brain injury is what made you do it type deal. You know what I mean? But let's get a little bit into why Bud possibly did what Bud uh, ultimately did. Okay, well, his bribery investigation. You know what I mean, and all that good shite. Okay, all right. Well, you know, from 1979 to 1981. Before Dwyer was the state treasurer, uh, public employees of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania's overpaid millions of dollars in Federal Insurance uh, Contribution Act taxes. As a result, the state required an accountant firm uh, to determine refunds for its employees. So, you know, he could have dropped, he could have got himself. Uh, Dwyer awarded the no-bid U.S. $4.6 million contract the Computer Technology Associates CTA, a California-based firm owned by John Turquota Jr., a native of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, on May 10th, 1984. So right there you see a little bit of a little titty bit of maybe some uh, corruption, some friendly shit. They both came from the same place. One's now in California running a business, and the other one's now a politician. You know what I mean? In early 1984, Dennis Schatzman, deputy controller of the Pittsburgh School District, noticed financial uh, discrepancies in the CTA contract and wrote to Pittsburgh school officials regarding these. Uh, Schatzkam later contacted officials at the accounting firm, Arthur Young and Associates, who confirmed that the no-bid CTA contract was overpriced by millions of dollars. In late July 1984, Janice R. Kincaid, a former CTA employee, released a sworn statement claiming that Dwyer awarded the contract to CTA because he was promised $300,000 kickback by the company. In June 1984, the Office of the Pennsylvania Auditor General informed uh, the FBI of the bribery that occurred during the awarding of the contract. So he does have, you know what I mean, he does have what would some, some possibility for wrongdoings you know what i mean for sure they're there what do you think we're gonna go deeper but thus far already just kind of going into business and a little extra loot going their way for you know some old friends type deal uh you know sounds something that's very possible 
and uh, could be a problem in the future. You know what I mean? An investigation into Dwyer's awarding uh, of the CTA contract was undertaken by federal prosecutors. Upon learning of this investigation, Dwyer uh, rescinded the contract with the CTA on July 11th, 1984. Subsequently, Dwyer repeatedly attempted to stop, divert, and forestall the investigation, stating that the U.S. attorney had neither the authority nor evidence to uh, pursue prosecution. Dwyer later admitted to telling his staff to withhold request for proposal, the RFP information from the U.S. attorney and the FBI during the investigation. After being indicted by a federal grand jury, Dwyer was finally charged with agreeing to receive a kickback of $300,000 in return for awarding CTA the contract. Hey, so, yeah, you know what I mean? Uh, Dwyer stated that he offered to take the polygraph exam, but only on the condition that if he passed it, he would not be indicted. The state rejected Dwyer's offer. Prior to Dwyer's indictment on October 22nd, 1984, a grand jury indicted Torquato. Torquato's attorney, William T. Smith, um, Judy Smith, who, you know, William T. Smith died last year. I wonder if it was a COVID situation. Judy Smith, uh, Alan R. Stoneman, and David Herbert. Uh, at, at Smith's 1985 trial, Smith, who was a friend of Dwyer, testified that he did not bribe Dwyer and instead that uh, Torquato offered Dwyer a campaign contribution in return for the CTA contract. That's how the church does it that way, too. Uh, yet Dwyer rejected Torquato's offer. In contrast, Torquato testified that Smith offered Dwyer a $300,000 bribe in return for the CTA contract. Dwyer, acting as a defense witness for Smith at Smith's trial, denied that he was offered any contribution at all. In August of 1984, Smith failed the polygraph exam when he stated that he did not bribe Dwyer or any state official. However, prior to Smith's trial on October 27, 1984, four days after Smith's indictment, Smith confessed to offering Dwyer a bribe, and he stated that Dwyer accepted the offer. All right, that ain't looking good for Bud. Uh, I bet, you know, I'm going to quote here, I bet uh, with Dwyer in his office and the at the insistence of Torquato's offer uh, to give him 300000 if he signed a contract with CTA LTD, uh, Dwyer talked about 100000 to him personally, 100000 to his campaign committee, and 100000 to the Republican State Committee. So there might, I, it feels like there's more people involved than just Bud. Bud might have been told, you need to shoot yourself in the face and make all this go away, buddy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because that money's being dispersed and uh, more than just buddy boy getting that, you know what I mean? But, uh, you know, Dwyer was going to see Robert Asher in Montgomery County that weekend to talk to him about how this should be done. However, Bob Asher, the then Republican party chairman. So I think we get an idea where some more money might be going, uh, for the state of Pennsylvania objected to this and requested that the 300000 be directed entirely to the Republican State Committee, since Asher did not want Dwyer to go to jail. Asher indicated that he had a conversation with Mr. Dwyer, and he knew that, I'm, that I made an offer to him of 300000 contribution. And then he was very angry when, it be, when he began to talk about, talk about that. 
angry with me, said he thought I knew better than to offer a contribution to Mr. Dwyer. And he said that if there was going to be a contribution, it was going to be to the Republican State Committee. Dwyer, along with Asher, were indicted by federal grand jury on May 13, 1986, in the hopes of reducing his 12-year sentence stemming from his 1985 conviction, Smith testified on behalf of the federal government against Dwyer and Asher at their 1986 trial. Ultimately, Smith did not receive any reduction in his sentence uh, for testifying against Dwyer, although his wife, Judy Smith, was granted immunity from prosecution. Before testifying against Dwyer, Smith passed the polygraph exam. Act, Act 38 in 1984, the House Bill 1397, that authorized him to recover uh, the FICA, FICA, overpayments. And that coded computer tape seized from the CTA's office on July 6, 1984, showed that Dwyer was to receive a $300,000 payoff. You got that right, for awarding CTA the contract. Moreover, Smith and uh, Torquato's claim, uh, claims about Dwyer being bribed were uh, corroborated by four independent and impartial witnesses. And Smith's testimony against Dwyer was virtually identical uh, to the written statements Smith made along uh, before entering into the plea agreement. Additionally, FBI agents testified that Dwyer attempted to conceal his involvement in the scheme when, after learning the FBI investigation, he, er- he erased the entire entry in his appointment book of the March 2nd, 1984 meeting with Torquato and Smith, in which he was first offered a bribe. So he, it's all erasered out. You can like still see mm-hmm. it. Under, you know, Dwyer maintained that he uh, awarded the CTA the contract on the basis of his Treasury Task Force recommendation. Yet this conflicted with the fact that Dwyer personally handled all the matters relating to the contract six days prior to awarding it to CTA. Furthermore, his task force contributions merely consisted in the making of a single phone call to David J. Herbert, the former state director of Social Security for controlled FICA recovery for the Pennsylvania public employees and who was subsequently convicted for conspiring with CTA. See, it's not looking good for Bud. You know what I mean? Bud's got a lot of shit packed up against him uh, that he kind of put there. You know what I mean? Uh, Dwyer uh, awarded the contract to CTA, an obscure California firm with three employees, little equipment, and little experience, despite being informed in April of 84 by the major Pennsylvania-based accounting firm, Arthur Young and his associates, who had 150 employees and submitted a proposal on April 13th Uh, at least 14 days prior to CTA's proposal, that they could perform the FICA recovery as fast as CTA for half the cost. Charles Collins, Arthur Young's former director of management consulting in Pittsburgh, testified at Dwyer's trial that Arthur Young and Associates, who, unlike CTA, had experience in identical tax recovery work, was prepared to negotiate with the, I'm going to call him FICA to keep it quick, recovery contract. That was half the cost in CTA contract uh, and that Dwyer was clearly aware of Arthur Young's position before committing the contract to CTA. Additionally, 16 other competitors were willing to be considered for the FICA recovery contract 
and many had uh, communicated with Treasurer, uh, Treasurer Dwyer's office to request an opportunity to bid on the contract, yet Dwyer did not respond. Yeah, he's looking more awful and more awful in the situation. Like, it's this corrupt shit that they got him on, which is kind of what I was leaning for, like, towards, I feel, uh, what really happened. Dwyer repeatedly stated that he awarded the contract to CTA uh, via his task force recommendation, the basis of CTA's providing immediate credit. Yet the contract between CTA and Dwyer contained no information regarding CTA's ability to provide such credit. Moreover, Dwyer admitted that he did not mention the concept of immediate credit to Arthur Young and Associates when officials from the firm asked why CTA was chosen over them. Immediate credit is like, that's that, that's like a different term for bribe, it sounds like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. why'd, you, why'd you let them win? Well, they gave me immediate credit, dude. Uh, in <laughs> contradiction to Dwyer's statements about awarding CTA, uh, on the contract on the basis of their pr- approving immediate credit, Arthur Young and Associates were told the CTA got the contract since they first recognized that the overpayments could be recovered, uh, that, that they supported uh, legislation, legislation that gave Dwyer the sole power to avoid to uh, award said contract. Yeah, he's he's definitely got himself in a hole here. Uh, nevertheless, Dwyer yeah. denied, he, he denied any wrongdoing. You know what I mean? stating that after the CTA contract was signed, Smith merely made a generic offer to help with his campaign. Dwyer's lawyer spoke to the prosecutor acting U.S. Attorney West, asking him if he would drop all charges against Dwyer if Dwyer resigned as the state treasurer. West declined the offer. He insisted he instead offered to let Dwyer plead guilty to a single charge of bribe receiving, which would have met at the maximum five years imprisonment, which I don't think Bud wanted to even do that. As long as he resigned from his office as treasurer of Pennsylvania and cooperated fully with the government's investigation, but Dwyer refused and went to trial. At his trial, Dwyer did not take the stand and his lawyer, Paul Killian, presented no defense witnesses. Since he thought that the government did not sufficiently prove its case, it is possible that Dwyer did not testify in his own defense since he did not want to be questioned regarding the involvement in 1980 conspiracy involving his wife's business, Polly Ed, and the two Pennsylvania State Education Associations. Employees, interesting. Um, One of these employees was Dyer's close friend and campaign manager, Fred McLickup, who was subsequently fired from the PSEA for his involvement in the scheme and who later featured in the 2010 documentary about Dwyer. In this conspiracy, which was investigated by the Office of Pennsylvania Attorney General, Dwyer allegedly uh, siphoned money from his campaign into his personal funds. On December 18, 1986, Dwyer was found guilty on 11 counts of conspiracy, mail fraud, perjury, and interstate uh, transportation in aid of racketeering, and consequently faced a sentence of up to 55 years imprisonment and a $300,000 fine. So we had to give that $300,000 back. <laughs> That's like salt it, on the wound. I got to get insult injury over there. Uh, his sentencing, sentencing was scheduled for January 23rd, 1987, to be performed by the U.S. District Court, ju- Court Judge Malcolm Moore. Uh, one mail fraud charge against Dwyer was dismissed by uh, Judge Moore. Uh, one juror, Carolyn Edwards of Williamsport, found it, Emotionally difficult to convict Dwyer 
and Asher, since they were men of a very high integrity. Uh, they just they, they just made a mistake, she said. Uh, Bob Asher, Dwyer's co-defendant, was sentenced to one year in jail. He later returned uh, to politics and served as a Republican National Committeeman for Pennsylvania. There you go. Accounting firm Levin Howarth ultimately fulfilled the contract of uh, $1,300,000 with slightly over a third of the fee possibly being subjected to rebate. If CTA were to have performed the recovery work, Pennsylvania would have lost $6 million. You know what I mean? What, uh, Jonathan, what do you think of that one? <laughs> so, what, what was it? His buddy went to jail for a, a fucking year? Yeah. And, and then, uh, and then he, he was, what, a Republican and what? Say that one again? It was a Republican, uh, which part of him going in and coming out? Yeah, the dude doing a year, then still being in like Congress or whatever. Yeah, that was the Asher dude, I believe. That, that, that was, and the, you know, they, they were very high integrity. They, yeah, they just made a couple of high integrity. Yeah, they just made it, they would never do anything scumbagish. <laughs> never! They don't do shit like that, man. Too much integrity, yeah. Yeah, they have so much integrity that they're robbing you blind. <laughs> yeah, you know, there you go. What do you think, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, I I think that he was, of course, guilty. I don't think anybody. I, I, I mean, I don't think anybody thinks that he wasn't guilty, because I mean, not to mention also the DA has continued. I think as recent as like the mid two thousands to reassess the case and say, yeah, like there's in no way, shape, or form was there in like any inkling of evidence that this didn't happen. So, yeah, I mean, of course, I think he was guilty. Of course, I think he was, you know, naturally going to get convicted of some sort of crime um, and face some jail time or whatever it may be or have to pay back a lot of money. But, yeah, I I don't think this is like this is an exceptionally – this is an exceptionally weird case because when you're talking about something as delicate as suicide, mm. you know, it's, it's kind of hard. Like your opinion on it can, it's easy to sound very blatantly naive and like foolish, you know, and make a foolish comment. For instance, if you were to say that you think he was just being a coward, you know, and didn't want to, didn't really want to. And, and he, and if, and by, I think there's two, like there's, there's two possibilities. Either he, he knew he was guilty, but he knew that if he did something this, you know, crazy, it might distract kind of from the fact that he had, you know, that he was so, such a kind of criminal type of person, you know, it would elicit so much sympathy. Or you have the other end of it, which that, you know, maybe he just convinced himself that he really was not guilty. You know, because that's also something that a lot of people can do. They can, yeah. If you tell yourself every day when you wake up, I'm 100% an innocent person and I didn't do anything wrong, and you continue, you know, continue and continue and continue to tell yourself that, eventually you believe it. So with through that all of that persecution, he really turned himself into the ultimate victim and kind of thought that, like, this was his only way to finally – you know, he figured he he wanted to take he. I think maybe his thought was, if I'm going to be punished essentially for this crime, I want to be the one 
to punish myself. You know, if it's, if it's so inevitable that I must be punished, it's going to be by the hand of me. But again, when you're like commenting, just want to put this out there for our viewers. I'm not saying that, you know, any of this is like, you know, a hundred percent diehard, my opinion, nor do I think, I don't like say he was a coward. I don't say any of this stuff Mm, because it is a very touchy issue. Yeah. And, you know, maybe he has been dealing with depression for many, many years and this just kind of tipped it over the edge. Um, that's also very likely. It's a very difficult case and it's very, very hard. And it's true. It's like really weird the way that he went about it. You know, the fact that he did it knowing, knowingly that it was going to kind of receive so much public attention. Yeah. Is definitely a strange component of the yeah. story. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't call him a coward either. Anybody popping that off is, you know, they're stepping into a realm that I don't want to step into, so it's what, you know what I mean? So I would never go Yeah, sure. Coward. But yeah, I, sure, sure. But I think that, yeah, I think that, you know, it's a weird deal. Am I, I have a take on it that I think is a little more than that, but I'll probably wait toward, closer to the end to you know, on that. But I, I agree with you 100 on everything else there, for sure. Um, Pennsylvania law uh, stated that Dwyer cannot officially be removed from the office until he was sent uh, his sentencing in January. Given this, Dwyer stated that until his legal appeal was resolved, he would stay on the treasurer under leave of absence without pay. You know, and like I said before, got to appreciate that a little bit. Um, but he just got a big fucking payday behind the scenes, so he don't need to loot type situation. Um, and he would not resign before having the opportunity to appeal his conviction. In the interim, the Treasury Department would be run by the de- Deputy Treasurer Donald L. Johnson. Okay. Dwyer continued to profess his innocence and after being convicted and on December 23rd wrote a letter to President Ronald Reagan seeking uh, that the president, uh, presidential pardon and uh, the Senator Arlen Specter seeking support in this effort. The week of Dwyer's sentencing, Pennsylvania State Attorney General Leroy Zimmerman. You don't see that name Leroy anymore. I dig that. And uh, state prosecutors were investigating a provision in the Pennsylvania state constitution where removal of a civil worker from office who had been convicted of a crime is self-executing. That lived itself out, huh? Uh, Thus, automatic upon the person's sentencing, a decision confirming this constitutional point was expected on January 22nd, the day before Dwyer's sentencing hearing. You know what I mean? Uh, self-executing. That's almost should be the name of the episode, for crying out loud. Don't get no more fucking real than that. I wonder if when he heard that, he was thinking in his head, like, they have no idea. They have no idea. Um, let's get into the meat and potatoes of the situation, gentlemen, shall we? The actual public suicide. All right. In a meeting in his home on January 15th, 1987, Dwyer discussed the idea of a press conference with his press secretary, James Duke Horshock. When you got someone nicknamed the Duke in your corner, you can't go wrong. Uh, 
and Deputy Treasurer Don Johnson, not the one we know and love, the <laughs> other one. At the meeting, both Horshuk and Johnson cautioned Dwyer not to use the conference to attack the governor or the other individuals involved in his criminal conviction, and both suggested to Dwyer that he should hold the conference at a location other than his office. Dwyer angri- angrily rejected the suggestion, and but nevertheless assured, uh, nevertheless assured both men that he would not attack anybody involved in his conviction. He additionally stated that he would not announce his resignation at the conference, but rather thank his staff and friends. Nevertheless, both men left assuming Dwyer would ultimately resign at the conference, and he did, uh, although Horshock had fears that Dwyer would break his promise. The next day, Dwyer visited his lawyer, Paul Killian, who told Dwyer to express repentance for his crimes. He did. Dwyer responded to agreeing to the change of his version of the events, which was to be presented to Judge Moir at Dwyer's pre-sentencing conference scheduled for the afternoon of January 22nd. Dwyer later saw Killian again, gave him an updated version of events, and stated that he would announce his resignation at the press conference. He did, yet did not want Killian to attend the conference. Dwyer finally reached Senator Specter by the telephone on January 22nd, two days before his sentencing. Uh, Specter aide uh, stated that the two of them talked for eight to ten minutes, following up on his letter to the senator asking for help. He personally wrote to President Ronald Reagan asking for a presidential pardon. In his letter, Dwyer once again professed his innocence and stated that the concept of immediate credit was not understood by the uneducated, unsophisticated rural jury at his trial. Uh, That wouldn't have helped him if that got out either. Um, (laughs) the, The senator responded that his... Uh, This request to President Reagan was not realistic because the judicial process, including appeals, had not yet run its course. On the same day, Dwyer asked his press secretary, Horshock, and deputy press secretary, Gregory Penny, to set up a news conference for the next day without telling them what he was to discuss. Uh, Horshock arranged the press conference for 10.30 a.m., EST, baby. Uh, the next day, uh, he's with us, PA in it, January 22nd. We're not PA in it, though. The press secretary called dozens of reporters asking them to attend and told them he did not know its subject. Initially, Dwyer wanted to ban certain reporters from the press conference who he believed wrote biased accounts about him and even suggested that a guard should be in attendance to prevent entry to those who were not on this authorized list. It sounds a lot like D-Trump sizzle. (laughs) Learn from the best, baby. Horshock was unconvinced about Dwyer's claims that he was being conspired against, objected, stating to Dwyer that he could not use state government facilities to manipulate the free flow of information. Leading up to the press conference, acting U.S. Attorney West, who had secured the conviction against Dwyer, remarked that the treasurer's supposed resignation resignation sounds like the appropriate thing to do under the circumstances. It seems like it would save everybody a lot of time and aggravation. Uh, Similarly, 
Harrisburg Patriot News reporter Ken Marshall described the consensus among reporters that they would be attending to see Dwyer announce his resignation from his office. Boy, did they get a surprise. (laughs) You know what I mean? My mission was to stay here until he said those words, then call in uh, a new top four story. And he got even a better story. Um, The night before the press conference, Dwyer wrote uh, the note, the following note. That note goes a little something like this. I enjoy being with Joe so much. The next 20 years or so would have been wonderful. Tomorrow is going to be so difficult and I hope I can get through with it. That's yeah, dude, that's, that's, it's it's interesting because knowing the situation if you'd read it you would just say oh it's a big moment where he's going to come out and be you know honest with the public about what he's going to do you know what i mean and then it almost kind of makes you wonder like if that imagine if that you could almost go into a wild conspiracy like if courtney love wrote his note and uh (laughs) you know said that he he was originally just going to stop being a his politician life and resign but he ended up being a big uh, headshot wound Now, Dwyer's press statement. The next morning, Dwyer went to his press conference as planned, appearing nervous and agitated. He again professed his innocence and began reading from a 21-page prepared text later described as a rambling polemic about the criminal justice system. It singled out former Governor Thurnber, acting U.S. Attorney, West Agents, and the FBI, Judge Murr, and others uh, tarnishing the justice system and for t- tarnishing the justice system and ruining him. Dwyer stated that Attorney West uh, purposely, purposely uh, had Dwyer's trial not in Harrisburg but in Williamsport. Since Williamsport, in the Williamsport, the jury pool was the most uneducated in the state of Pennsylvania. That's them saying that, not us. Dwyer spoke out against the death penalty and expressed regret for voting in favor of it while he was in the Pennsylvania Assembly. (laughs) Once you get closer to someone who has to take that death penalty, your opinion changes on it pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, that's always the case. Yeah, This speech lasted nearly 30 minutes and approximately halfway into it. With no apparent end in sight, some some of the gathered press began to pack up and leave. Dwyer spotted this and interrupted himself to say, those of you who are putting your cameras away, I think you ought to stay because we're not, uh, we're not finished yet. He was rapping for a little bit there. Much (laughs) respect. Um, Given the sensitive nature of portions of Dwyer's text, press secretary Horshock had considered interrupting him uh, outright to stop him, but concluded uh, that he would hold his own press conference after Dwyer's. I had I had to make it known that I was not aware of the content of the statement, he said. I don't want it to be thought that I wrote that for him. Upon reaching the final page of a statement, which had uh, not been distributed to the press, nor press secretary Hershock in advance, Dwyer paused. Then he said, and I'm on the last page now, and I don't have enough to pass out. But Duke, meaning Horshock, I'll leave this here, and you can make copies for the people. There's a few extra copies here right now, Dwyer continued. I would love to have a copy in my office in a frame. I thank the good Lord for giving me 47 years 
of exciting challenges, stimulating experiences, many happy occasions, and most of all, the finest wife and children any man could ever desire. Now, my life has changed for no apparent reason. People who call and write are exasperated and feel helpless. They know I am innocent and I want to help. But in this nation, the world's uh, greatest democracy, there is nothing they can do to prevent me from being punished for a crime they know I did not commit. Some who have called have said that I am a modern-day Job. Interesting. Uh, Judge Marr is also noted for his medieval sentences. A farce maximum sentence of 55 years in prison and a $300,000 fine for being in- innocent. Judge Marr had already told the press that he felt invigorated when he, when we were found guilty uh, and that he plans to imprison me as a deterrent to other public officials. But it would be a deterrent because every public official who knows me knows that I am innocent. It wouldn't be legitimate punishment because I've done nothing wrong. Since I'm a victim of political persecution, my prison would simply be an American goulash. I ask those that believe in me to continue to extend friendship and prayer to my family, to work uh, untiringly for the creation of true justice system here in the United States and to press on with the efforts to uh, vindicate me so that my family and their future families are not tainted by this injustice that has been perpetrated on me. We were confident that uh, right and truth would prevail and I would be acquitted and we would devote the rest of our lives working to create a justice system here in the United States. The guilty verdict has strengthened that resolve. But as we've discussed our plans to expose the wants of our legal system, people have said, why bother? No one cares. You'll look foolish. 60 Minutes 2020, the American Civil Liberties Union, Jack Anderson, and all others have been publicizing cases like yours for years, and it doesn't bother anyone. At this point, Dwyer stopped reading from his prepared remarks. With the gathered press still waiting and expected resignation, there was still a significant portion of the prepared text remaining, which detailed what he was actually planning to do, and it read as follows. He did not read these comments to the crowd. Y'all hearing it for the first time here exclusive. I've repeatedly said that I'm not going to resign as state treasurer after many hours of thought and uh, meditation. Spiritual man, I've made a decision that should not be an example to anyone because it is a, a unique to my situation. Last May, I told you that after the trial, I would give you the story of the decade. To those of you who are shallow, the events of this morning will be that story. But to those of you uh, with depth and concern, the real life story will be what I hope and pray results from this morning. In the coming months and years, uh, the development of a true justice system here in the United States. I am going to die in office in an effort to uh, see if the shame, shameful facts spread out in all their shame will not burn through our civic shamelessness and set fire to American pride. Please tell my story on every radio and television station and in every newspaper and magazine in the U.S. Please leave immediately if you have a weak stomach or mind, since I don't want to cause physical or mental distress. Well, there he is. Uh, Joanne, Rob, Dee Dee, I love you. 
Thank you for making my life so happy. Uh, goodbye to you all on the count of three. Please make sure that the sacrifice of my life is not in vain. Got goosebumps reading that last part. Uh, after deciding to break from his speech, Dwyer called the three of his staffers, giving each sealed an envelope with the uh, insignia of the Treasury Department. The first envelope given to Bob Hoist contained the letter addressed to the Pennsylvania governor, Bob Casey, who had taken office just two days earlier. What a first fucking week. What a first week for that dude. Uh, the second given to duty press secretary, Gregory Penny, contained an organ donor card and other related materials. The last given to deputy treasurer, Don Johnson, it was some nice sunglasses, contained materials <laughs> intended for Dwyer's family, including three letters, one for his wife, Joanne, one for each of his children, Robin Dede, and suggested funeral arrangements. Freelance photographer Gary Miller, one of the reporters in attendance, described the scene at this point, stating it was just kind of a long-winded, sad event. It's kind of like, yeah, well, you know, the he was kind of following his note, you know, like a script. You know, and he, you know, it's a, but it was his note. It was a suicide note as well that he left behind. You know, I, yeah, I was, I had it in my head that he was just kind of reading it. So, cause it was such a crazy moment that he wanted to make every, sure everything was addressed and he got to it. But yeah, like you said in the beginning, you know, t- grab, grab up the note and uh, do what you're going to do with it. All right. That's some craziness. That's some crazy madness. You guys got any comment on that part of it before we get into the actual, Boom shakalaka. No, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I would like to, because I, I unfortunately have to get off in like probably 15 minutes anyway. Whoa. But I want to get my thoughts out. Okay. Um, just a little, yeah. So, I mean, everything that I said earlier is, you know, still uh, relevant. I mean, it's sad to, like the note is, yeah, the note's a bit like kind of heart wrenching, you know? I, I don't remember, like, I think I've seen the video maybe one time. Um, yeah. I don't remember him like going over all of that, you know, but I know, I do know the famous picture of him kind of like putting his hand up, you know, and telling somebody to kind of stop, which I would imagine would be when people really kind of found out, oh, you know, what's gonna, what's gonna kind of happen here. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's an emotional video. I, I think it's hard to – I think yeah, the, the moral of the story, like essentially everybody makes mistakes, you know, and I think unfortunately a mistake was, you know, I think he just came to terms with the fact that he made a mistake. And although he – Again, I think, you know, certainly convinced himself that he might not have been guilty. I think maybe there was that inkling of kind of, I don't know. I don't know what it could have been. You know, you lie for so long to yourself and maybe you believe it or maybe you don't, but maybe you one day realize that the denial of, of constantly kind of living this altar, you know, this, this separate life kind of finally catches up to you and you just can't handle it. I don't know, but. It's certainly a sad story, certainly a heart wrenching story, gut wrenching and heart wrenching. Yeah. And it's, it's hard. Like when you read the note, there was certainly a lot more emotion than what I think you, what you think 
you know, the video happens so quickly, I guess, you know, and I'm sure that there's, like you said, different parts of the, you know, different types of videos. Some are probably longer, some are probably shorter, but I, I guess the question is, do you think that that was kind of an insight into the person that he really was, you know, was it the politician speaking, you know, trying to kind of tell the people what they wanted to hear or was it the, the real you know, the real kind of peeling back those layers and seeing who this person was from an emotional level. I think that's kind of interesting to look, to think about it from that, from that perspective. Yeah. Well, he's signing off like he's about to die. So I think it's of course going to be personal. And I do almost, I get a vibe like he was someone that he very much so cared about what the public thought of him. You know what I mean? That probably weighed in on him. Um, I'm still kind of iffy on, you know, if, if he did it to, uh, because he was just really sad with the situation. He obviously didn't want to go to jail for 55 years. Um, I don't, you see him claiming to be innocent the entire time. I don't jive with that. Like, I don't think he was innocent at all. I think he definitely got into that, you know, the situation. Um, and my question Mike, the thing that I question what the reality of would be is, you know, was it his decision for him to die? Because in the beginning, this whole thing kind of started with him dropping the ball and people finding out that that money was missing. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. If there was other people involved like there is, you know, even his lawyers said, don't talk about our friends type deal. You know what I mean? I almost feel like they said, bud, you really fucked up huge. And the only thing that's going to kind of blow the cut blow this out the window is if you you do something drastic and i bet that every the 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 drasticness of what he did i bet was so huge and earth shattering for the people involved that it was probably the end of the talk it's almost like when epstein hung himself up you know talk kind of died down because it was like all right well the the bad guy's dead the wicked witch is dead we you know justice has been served let's not look any further type deal I think it's almost like a situation like that where, yeah, there was other people involved. And when he, when he, he stupidly fucked up and shit got leaked out there. And I think they came back to him and were like, you gotta, you gotta fucking do the big one. You gotta bite the big banana on this one. And, uh, I think that's what happened. My personal opinion is that, you know, he was kind of pressured into, um, pressured into fucking that, you know what I mean? Almost pressured into the situation of having to do it. You know, people would all, very Epstein, like people would say that Epstein was told he needs to fucking, it ends here. You know what I mean? Like one of those things. So that's kind of what I, I, I jive with. Uh, I'm sure he felt guilty and, 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 and frustrated and sad and, you know, about what it became, you know, when it was great, it was great. And when it went to shit, it really went to shit for him. But it's like you got to kind of, that's consequences. You've got to kind of deal with what you're, if you, you know, you, you fucking you own what you do. And um, so my question is whether it was just him personally owning what he did. But I really think that he was probably pressured and bullied. And they were like, it was probably a situation of like, you, if you go to jail, I don't really know if he could be trusted the way the politicians would be looking or the other people would be looking at him and being like, well, he's really trying to say he's innocent and that he's not involved. And we know he did it when he's a bold faced liar. 
we can't really trust this dude to go into the jail system and start ratting out on us. I think it was almost like a mob thing where and the mob could have been fucking, you know, put the put the muscle on him and fucking intimidated him and said, look, your family going to have issues and, you know, you're fucking dead. You're dead either way. So I don't know what you're even thinking about. At least try at least kill yourself off and catch the catch the insurance money and try and save face because you also got these people. This is a, to go back to what you were saying before about how people will believe that they were right, even in a wrong situation. It sounded like you had a lot of yes men and supporters around him too that were also feeding into that the the the, the fucking delusion of it not actually happening. So when you have those people that are delusionally supporting you like that, you don't want to let those folks down, I assume. So it's almost like even if the, the fact the support he didn't want to disappoint those supporters, you know, the people out there that love him, so to speak, and say, there's no way Bud could do that, not our Bud. Like, I think that that weighed in on him, too, you know. So it's I definitely think that he, you know, did – he he got foul. He took the bribe. He got caught because he was kind of sloppy. Um, and the other people that took the bribe with him were like, look, this has to end now. And, and something as big as that. That's huge, especially the time that it happened. Think about how how huge that must have been. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're going in and you're fucking, you're doing that, claiming innocence and saying that the justice system's fucked up and you blow your brains out. That's fucking, and people, he was loved by people. Um, very, very weird shit. But that's my take on it. I think that's what the mm-hmm. case is. You yeah. know what I mean? The, uh, I'd say, you know, that's my vibe overall vibe we still got a little couple more things to read that we'll finish off if you wait after you got to depart but like yeah that's my take on it i i don't think that yeah i don't think that it was uh i, I don't think he was an innocent dude by any means do you think that he's innocent in any way scary no i mean no, i don't think so i don't think but yeah i mean i i get what you're saying and i mean yeah that's plausible i guess i didn't really think about that you know it's it's certainly very likely that I think the the angle that I was coming from is I guess I was trying to be so respective of the fact that it was like a pretty delicate situation, you know, it was and like, and in terms of like where we are currently, you know, it can kind of be taken. I think it's very, very touchy topic. I think that can be taken very wrong, you know, kind of like a very bad, you know, if you make one weird comment about suicide, people like jump on you, you know, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but sure. I mean, I understand that there was probably a lot of pressure. And I mean, a lot of those people, if that was the case, they were kind of pushing him to do that in the end. I don't think, I mean, there could have been a couple of things. Maybe yeah. him doing it publicly was kind of his last, like, fuck you to them, you know? Um, kind of almost like, I don't know, in some way, you know, whatever. But, um, but also like, like back to what you were saying, those yes men that are in his life, it could have easily been the case that a lot of the people that if again, that was the case, pushed him to kind of make that decision, threatened his family, threatened his loved ones. Um, you know, could have also been those people the whole time saying, yeah, like, you know, you're, you're right. You know, kind of hoping that people would continue to believe him or that things wouldn't get, you know, would kind of get swept under the rug. And then once they realize, like, yeah, sure, that's not a, not a possibility anymore. Someone's going to pay for this. And, you know, you're kind of uh, can't be trusted. You're kind of like a ticking time bomb. 
Yeah. Yeah, sure. It's definitely a plausible, plausible uh, instance. I think he wanted to be a, mar- a martyr for justice, but he wasn't. Like, he was corrupt, but he wanted to be a martyr for what politicians should be. And I, I quite, I, I'm very curious to see, like, I wish I knew more about, like, he almost sounds like someone that might have a drug problem. Like, maybe he does like, a cocaine issue, you know what I mean? Where he believe that would help him believe these things, of course. Um, if you're living on the foul side of the track doing all that shit, I'm assuming you probably party. Why not? Why wouldn't you? Um, and I just think that, yeah, I think I'm very curious to see if he ever had a substance issue, maybe even just drinking, not even cocaine. And, you know, drinking was drinking a glass of whiskey with breakfast was like drinking a glass of milk with breakfast, crying out loud back in the day, dude. That sounds like a breakfast with a kick. Breakfast of champions. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's hard. It's, yeah. It's hard to say. I mean, there could have been other things too. There could have been people telling him that, you know, they were, maybe he had, had made other mistakes. Maybe he had an affair. Maybe he did other things, you know, and there could have been people threatening to kind of like tear his family apart, you know, if he did certain things or he didn't do, if he, you know, if he continued kind of on the track of saying, oh, yeah, I'm not, you know, guilty. I'm sure that there's also a lot of people, just like you said, that there's probably a lot of people that, of course, supported him politically. And then, yeah, yeah naturally, there's a lot of people that, wanted him to kind of crash and burn you know and so those people unfortunately when you i think when you're in that kind of i think of it almost as like an underworld of politics you know like you have what's kind of glamorous and what's portrayed on the you know on tv but then you also have i like that dark side of things of course that underworld kind of partying i'm sure scene and a lot of these people probably hang out with each other i wouldn't be surprised if the democratic party and the republican party are having fucking dinners you know but you know they're probably all get, they're probably all getting together. They're talking. They're hanging out. Oh, they're yeah. laughing. They're they're probably friends. And then once it comes to the TV, they're you know like fuck you, fuck you. And but I'd imagine that there's like a certain amount of dirt going on, you know, in the political community. And people are just kind of waiting. You could be the cleanest guy in the world, and I'm sure that you know they have they have stuff on you, you know, to ruin your life if they need to. So yeah. I would imagine that there was probably also that tension, that pressure, that stress. But it's 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 hard to. It's hard to know, you know. Of course, that's why we're talking about it because there's no, there's not really. It's politicians yeah. versus the public for sure. It doesn't matter what color jersey you're wearing, Republican and Democrat. I think they see they see more of themselves in each other than they do regular, you know, regular folk. No, unfortunately, you know what I mean. It's a, that whole thing's weird too because they get politicians. You know, I'm sure there's good ones out there and they got such a bad rap that it should like cops. It's easier to be bad. So they just feed into it, I think. You know what I mean? And it's like, why not have all this excess? It's a weird, mm-hmm. a very weird line to crawl on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Diesel. All right. All right. Well, that's that's it for me today. Uh, you pop uh, until, until next time. Until next time. For, Brother Jeffrey and Brother Jonathan, we'll see y'all later. Adios. Adios. We're getting to some suicide. (laughs) See you guys later. Later. All right. After he had finished speaking and handing out notes to his staffers, Dwyer then produced a manila envelope with the model uh, 19357 Magnum revolver in it. When the crowd in the room saw that Dwyer had pulled out the envelope, the mood changed immediately from one waiting to see whether he would resign his office to the one (coughs) of panic 
as nobody knew what he was planning to do with the gun. People gasped. Uh, and Dwyer packed up, backed up against the wall, holding the weapon close to his body. Uh, Dwyer calmly sta- sl- uh, stated to his audience, please, please leave the room if this will, if this will affect you. I've heard that in many a, a song as well. Uh, some people in the room left to call for help. Among those who stayed, some pleaded with Dwyer to surrender the gun while others tried to approach him and seize the weapon. Dwyer warned against either action, exclaiming in his final words, don't, don't, this will hurt someone. Just seconds later, Dwyer quickly fired one shot through the roof of his mouth and into his brain and collapsed on the floor dead. Five news cameras recorded the events. One of the cameras remained focused on Dwyer and captured close-up footage of the aftermath of the shooting, which is the video that we've all seen. Um, As his body is slumped, Blood streamed from the exit wound in the back of his head, as well as from his nostrils and mouth. I think mainly from those nostrils, man. That exit wound must have been a horrifying sight. That's a big, that's a big caliber pistola. Uh, he died instantly from the gunshot shortly before 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, but was not pronounced dead until 11.31 a.m. when the coroner got there, I assume. An aide later stated that Dwyer's corneas were made available to be, for transplant per his organ donation uh, wishes, but that no other organs were usable by the time his body reached the hospital. So everything else went down. Everything else went bad by the time he got in there. Uh-oh, got bloated. You know, got a little purple, got a little purple nurple. Uh, graphic footage and television media, you know, some of our favorite stuff. Many television stations throughout Pennsylvania broadcast tape footage of Dwyer's suicide to a midday audience. I wonder if they actually showed the hit. That would be fucked up if they did, but back in the day, dude, they consider it news, not the gore that it is. They go, people need to see this. I remember a news that, um, famous actress that um that fucking died in a car accident um i remember in the newspaper i see a newspaper with pictures from the crime scene and it, you could actually see like her dead body and shit which you know you don't catch that anymore well you know the old saying if it bleeds it bleeds you got that right doogie and it uh, bleeds it leads philadelphia station wpv uh i Channel 6 showed Dwyer pulling the trigger and falling backwards, but not, did not show the bullet path. Over the next several hours, news editors had to decide how much of the graphic footage they wanted to air. Many chose not to air the final moments of the suicide, and WPV, I also chose not to show the gunshot a second time. Yeah, that's a lot, dude. I, you know, the, the close, you know, nine eleven is something that we talked about on the show before, and everybody kind of remembers where they were, and like the wow, the wow factor, the silence. How you're almost after you watched it, you just kind of stood there for a moment, kind of taking in what happened. Um, we got here. We have uh, many stations, including WCAW and Pennsylvania's Group W stations, K, KYW, and. KDKA froze the action just before the gunshot. However, the later two allowed the audio of the shooting to continue under the frozen image. They were getting very stylized with their TV uh, editing. Group Group W's news camera, William 
L. L. Bill Martin and reporter David Schallenberger had a camera set up at the conference. They chose to air the audio with the freeze frame of the gun in Dwyer's mouth. I mean, that's still pretty fucking horrifying. Hey, it's that's a some... tease, man. It's a tease. Yeah. They they wanted they wanted the. Uh, I mean, it's... Uh, the news un- unfortunately is is the same as as any big blockbuster film. Okay, it's all about. Sensual. This is before it was, though. This is kind of before it was, though. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, the thing is that actually, if you go back and and look at uh, news, has always been this way. Well, I was saying like it was more, yeah, like they would show the, like I said, they would show dead bodies and stuff. Cause it was more like scientific research of reality. And nowadays, you don't really see that much gore on the news. You see like far distant gore. You don't. Yeah. You're not seeing. That you're not really seeing dead bodies that much, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean now, now they've they've gone to a point where they try to hide or not uh, not show the actual horrendous aftermath and uh, and all that. I mean, heck, um, I mean when we were talking to a buddy, a Gary K. Wolf, about you know the. uh, magazines back then, the true crime uh, right. magazines, they'd actually take pictures of the real dead people and, you know, put them in, in the magazines themselves. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is that my the way I look at it is, is this, that uh, going with what you said before, that... We still got a little probably, bit left here. We still do have a little bit of this left. So, if you're, are you giving your wind down? Oh well, I, I'm I'm just going to give my opinion. But okay. if, if if you want to uh, keep going, we can do it. Yeah, afterwards. I got a little bit left, and then we'll get into our we'll get into our opinions of what we think. We'll finish up with that. Okay. Uh, was, but that I think that even back in that time, dude, like that image and every everybody's seen it. The image of him with the gun in his mouth. Even though it isn't the impact or anything, that's still, I feel like, I mean, it's 87, but that's still yeah. kind of a lot. Like, if this happened today, they wouldn't be showing no fucking politician. Oh, no, no, because. <laughs> even, yeah. even like, people's minds would fucking explode, dude. You know, the, you know how Jeff was saying, we got to be careful about the suicide thing. Yeah, and we got nothing but love for people that. And the families affected by suicide. And it's not, you know, that shit sucks. We're not making light of it. Um, and we just, at least me personally, I just happened from the evidence given, I happen to feel a certain way about what happened with this situation. And, um, you know, it doesn't make it any more sad a life's loss, but I definitely think that, you know, he kind of put himself in the situation. But let me finish this up. Only a handful of aired have aired uh, with unedited press conference. WPVI in Philadelphia rebroadcasted the suicide footage in full on their 5 p.m. and 6 p.m. Action news broadcast without warning the viewers. That's heavy. That's pretty fucking heavy if you think about it. That's, dude, if they showed the, if they showed the, the fucking footage I've seen with the blood pouring out of the nose, I got to, they need to broadcast a reward for keeping it real because, yo, that footage is, I seen that maybe fucking 25 years ago 
and it's burnt into my brain. I didn't even have to go rewatch it. It's so, so burnt into my brain. You know what I mean? Um, the, the station's broadcast, the dude, that station would have been sued into fucking pebbles if it happened today. People would be, they'd be people see it. So there's certain people, dude, would see that on the news and would have to be hooked up to hospital beds and IVs to fucking live and put, be put in fucking induced comas until their fucking brain was able to come back from something like that. You know what I mean? The station's broadcast is a source for copies circulating on the internet. WPXI in Pittsburgh is reported by the Associate Press to have broadcast the footage uncensored on an early newscast. In explaining the decision to air, WPXI operations manager uh, by Williams said, it's an important event and import about an important man. You know what I mean? That's the only way to really kind of justify doing something like that, I guess. Um, Williams avoided airing the footage in the evening newscast, explaining everyone knows, uh, knows by then that he did it. There are children out of school. I give him props for that, at least. However, in central Pennsylvania, many children were home from school during the day of Dwyer's suicide due to a snowstorm. You know, that kind of adds a, a weird element to it as well, where it's almost like you think the Dwyer gave two fucks about that. You know, you, you think that that, I wonder if that crossed his mind like the bullet did, you know what I mean? But uh snowstorm. They talk about the snowstorm of 87. That was a bad snowstorm. You get a lot of snow? No. But Dwyer blew his head off. All right. Now, many older students reacted to the events by creating black comedy jokes. You know, they, they later became hosts of Behold the Pill podcast. That's us. <laughs> you know, we deal with everything of tragedy and madness and uncomprehensible pain with humor. The only way to do it. Uh, a study of the incident of the joke showed that they were told only in areas where stations showed uncensored footage of the press conference. Yeah, it's because you when you're, you're t- the only way to cope with something that dark is to kind of try and find humor and try and smile, man. You know what I mean? At least one report, reporter present uh, at Dwyer's suicide suffered from being a witness. I'm surprised only one did. Tony Romeo. Uh, they could no longer call him Romeo in the streets. A radio reporter was standing a few feet from Dwyer after the suicide. Romeo developed depression and took a break from journalism. Like I said, yeah, you, you're, if you're, if you happen to be the last dude looking Dwyer in the eyes when the top of his head comes apart and he gets that bloody runny nose, uh, you're going to fucking... You ain't going tomorrow ain't going to be a regular day. You know what I mean? It's going to be, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to have to go into a bed and go into an induced coma for a couple of months. And they bring you out of that after they fucking do work on your brain, try and give you the fucking men in black zapper on your eyes. You know what I mean? Um, but this depression, depression's as common as fucking the flow kid goes around like the flow. Um, but crazy madness, you know what I mean? Uh, we won't go super di- into it, uh, because there's a lot more stuff. If y'all want to go out there and check it out, um, there's a documentary called Honest Man, the life of our Bud Dwyer. You know what I mean? That's where the dude later said that he lied about the, he lied, uh, lied about 
what was his name? William K- William T. Smith lied about uh, the the bribe. I guess he later in this documentary came out and said that he never, Bud Dwyer never took a payoff. That he lied, and you know, to admit that, admit to lying on the stand is something you just don't do for a favor. You know what I mean? Because there's some serious, heavy fucking repercussions that come with that. Um, so that's kind of a big deal to add into it too. That he that you know. He, that, he, that he lied that he was there. Now that still doesn't take away from anything. And I still think that what I think with the, him being pressured into doing it, that doesn't change anything about that pressure. That just means maybe they tried to tag it on him and they lied and did, but they lied because they had to, because it wasn't actually re- real or whatever. You know what I mean? So this has been a hefty episode and now we're going to leave some people for some, for some uh, to go investigate themselves, but Alexander the Hawk, what? Yep. What's your final verdict on this situation? What do you think? Well, the, the way I see it, I mean, going with a lot of what everyone said is, I think that he probably was guilty that he was involved, and I think because he was involved with some, you know, uh, really shady and powerful people that they probably gave him a thing like, okay, dude, this is the situation. If you don't, you know, take care of this uh, this uh, problem, you know, take care of yourself, we'll go after your wife, we'll go after your kids and all that. And the way I see it is that he knew that he was in the situation that he wasn't going to get out of. The only way out was him to, you know, end end his life. So instead of just, you know, doing like an Epstein where, you know, he just hangs himself and no one was there and and it just was a random suicide, he decided, you know what? If I'm going to go out, I am going to have myself heard. So he set up this press conference and he set the entire thing about how he's innocent and pushing that Fact. So when he does kill himself, it kind of forces you to ask yourself, was he an innocent man pushed to the edge and, and to, you know, try to save his family and all that from constantly being harassed and all that, that he took his life? And so, I mean, that's the, the way I see it is that it could very much have been that the fact that he found himself back against the wall you know that his he's already gone so deep that you know his his wife and kids are going to be constantly affected because of this and then of course he's dealing with shady people who are probably saying dude you we were in this together but you're the one who fucked up you led the breadcrumbs to us so you got to take a hit for the team and he was like all right fine you know what if I'm going to do this, I'm going to set this up in such a way that hopefully, in his mind, gets the the uh, the stance of what he did or what he was involved with off his family. Okay, by trying to make this like this whole elaborate thing about I'm an innocent man, I'm being railroaded. This is affecting my family, affecting my wife, my kids. So you know what? I'm doing the brave thing. I'm going to kill myself. 
okay? Because I know I'm an innocent man, but I also know that the jury is rigged, that everything's rigged, that I'm going to go down no matter what I do, even though I'm innocent. So I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to stop this. I'm going to kill myself in front of these people, have witnesses that I killed myself, and by doing this, you know, I am trying to save my family from this shame that's being pushed on me. I mean, personally, I think he probably was involved in all of this, but I think this entire elaborate setup was his way of, you know, trying to get the stigma and all that that he had created that has fallen on his wife and kids off of them by kind of trying to say, I'm an innocent man, uh, but I know I'm not going to get a fair shake, so I'm going to kill myself to show you that, you know, I'd rather die than put myself and my family through this kangaroo court. So that's how I kind of feel that why he did what he did. Yeah, I want to add one little thing in there about the death benefits that we talked about uh, earlier in the show, you know, since Dwyer died in office, his widow Joanne was able to collect full survivor benefits totaling over one point twenty eight million, equivalent Ooh. to about two point ninety two million in twenty twenty, which at the time was the largest death benefit payment ever made by the state system. If Dwyer had been sentenced, state law would have prohibited the payment of a state provided pension benefit. A spokesman for Dwyer suggested that he may have killed himself to preserve the pension benefits for his family, whose finances had been ruined by legal defense costs. Other statements made by some of the friends and family also suggested it was Dwyer's motivation. However, uh, at the panel discussion for the documentary Honest Man, The Life of Arbut Dwyer, Dwyer's sister Mary Cunn stated that Dwyer had made the decision to kill himself prior to knowing he would lose his pension and thus his motivation for his suicide was not to provide financial support for his family, but rather to sacrifice himself to help the system. I think that's just something you say if you like somebody. I do think <laughs> I do think that I do think that the money was big. I still my my final take on it is I think that he knew what he was doing, taking bribes, uh sloppily got caught and he wasn't the only one taking those bribes. And when he got caught and everything unfolded, I think the other powers that be said, because you got us all fucked up, you got to do something big for this. And he, I think he was bullied into making that decision, but I think the decision was made sweeter by them being like, look, you're that your family's getting this. You can go out as a, as a fucking martyr. You know, I think they lined it up good for him, but they also let, he knew, he kind of would know. They might not have told him, but he knew. They made it evident to him that he had to do the right thing, I feel. And when he was looking at it, he was going, these people are going to fucking kill me or at least destroy me and professionally if I don't do it. You know, they're probably telling him, you go to jail, you, you, you're, you, he's, you know, he was talking shit about the people. So, like, like the townspeople of the locals and stuff. So that ain't going to help him when he goes to jail. You know what I mean? I think that they were getting in his air with that and saying, look, the best thing you can do for everybody involved is take this fucking whammy. And it is quite a whammy. And like I said before, I think it was such a whammy that 
nobody looked after the bomb, after the smoke cleared, nobody was investigating anything else any further. They just said, whoa, you know what I mean? I think that was a big part of it. So at the end of the day, I do feel, yeah, he got caught up in it. He got caught and he was, you know, he didn't like the fact he was caught. But I think that some people said, yeah, you, you got to make this go away. This is how you can make it go away. But don't fret, you know, because we're going to be in the clear. Your family's going to get paid off handsomely. And you get to go out as an innocent man and a martyr. And for years down the line, they'll be, they'll be claiming your innocence. And he knew he was wrong and, and did that thing. I feel speculate. I can only speculate. But my opinion is that, that, yeah, he was kind of told to do it up a little bit. You know what I mean? I don't think it was kind of fully, fully his decision. You know, he, he, he states about being nervous the night before, which, yeah, I assume you to be nervous about something like that. But I also feel like if you, I feel like once you come to grips, I could be dead wrong, but I feel like once you come to grips with the fact that, tomorrow's destination is me killing myself. You know what I mean? Once you come to grips with that, I um, when you're in that place, I think uh, that darkness, I think that it's just, um, you're not even really, there's nobody in the cockpit. You're just kind of working on, you know, cruise control and your body's going through the motions moving around. But I feel like your thoughts and your mind, uh, your feelings have kind of shut down at that point. And when you're that close to leaving, I think that it just is what it is. Uh, it's almost a waiting process. So like I, you know, him saying that he was nervous, that could be nervous about that means he didn't actually really want to do it, but he was probably being pressured into it. That's my take, you know? Yeah. So hell yeah, yo, uh, we could all be wrong. We could all be right. But that's what gets us through the night, you know what I mean? And uh, that's the beauty, supposedly, of this show that we do called Behold the Pill. And uh, we want to thank everybody for listening in. You know, if you haven't subscribed or followed this show on Spotify or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts, by all means, do so. We don't want to, you don't want to have me have to bud, do the Bud Dwyer effect over fucking follows on, on, on Spotify, do you? I hope not. That'd be sad. Um, share with your friends and your family and your foes and your coworkers and everybody you know. Um, well, not everybody you know, because we know certain people can be can be rubbed the wrong way by things like this. Take a good assumption of who you think might get down. And if you think they might enjoy the show, let them know. At the end of the day, this is our own little secret club out there. You know what I mean? We keeps it secret, secret society type stuff. Only a select few get down with the behold. So with that being said, we hope everybody's great and grand. uh, And we'll catch y'all on the next episode of Behold a Pale Podcast. I ask those that believe in me to continue to extend friendship and prayer to my family to work untiringly for the creation of a true justice system here in the United States and to press on with the efforts to vindicate me so that my family and their future families are not tainted by this injustice that has been perpetrated on me.
Don, there are some things for you to do, and it's an honor here for Joanne. Can I? No, no, no. Please leave the room if this will. If I'm not. Don't, 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 don